Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And again, I uh, trust that you have been blessed by the Word of God that we've been sharing and that you have been uh, continuously following the things that we're sharing because we've laid a trail for the last, I don't know, we probably aired something like, I don't know, a hundred and some programs to chapter by chapter, verse by verse, pretty much cover the book of Revelation. Probably in the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to be able to wrap this up. And at that time, we will probably release the audio CDs from all the teaching. Uh, but if you have missed any of the programs, uh, you are welcome, and I encourage you to go to our YouTube page, and uh, you'll find there archived uh, everything we've taught to date and we've aired to, on the program, on the book of Revelation is there on our YouTube, so you can go back and refresh your uh, mind about things that we've taught. We've learned a lot ourselves in teaching this, and uh, I by no stretch of the imagination feel like we've exhausted it. Some of these things, I think, are... Uh, a matter of opinion, on, no, no matter, you know, on some of these issues, I think there are some areas that are somewhat vague. And as we get into uh, the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, I'm going to say just as a disclaimer in the very beginning of this, because I'm going to begin to unpack a little bit chapter 20. It is by far probably the most difficult and contentious piece of Scripture probably in the entire book of Revelation, maybe the whole Bible. I literally have been on conference calls uh, with an apostolic uh, council that is a global apostolic council on eschatology that I am a member of. And, uh, and some of the things that we discussed on that conference call as well is on some of the forums that I engage in in discussion is that it really boils down to some things are a matter of interpretation. So we don't want to be dogmatic, nor do we want to make you feel like uh, just because we believe this that you have to. Uh, we just say, eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. We're all on a journey and a quest to know the truth. Uh, I, I really have had people ask me, am I, uh, you know, they use certain terms to try to define what I am. I really don't know what to define myself as. And I think sometimes when you try to uh, pigeonhole someone or put, it puts them in a box, and I just like to call myself a truth seeker. And so to me, the truth is more valuable than fitting in any particular group or um, or any particular, uh, being embraced by any particular sect of people that uh, embrace certain things. I will say also to you that, um, uh, you know, the, like I said, these are some of the most difficult pieces of Scripture. So I'm going to give you what I believe, and then I'm also going to give you probably a few uh, pieces of what some others believe so that you can make a decision uh, based on your own thoughts on that. There are several views of this, and I have, I mean, I have looked, I have studied more. Uh, you know, my entire life's been given to study, but I have really put some time into the last several weeks trying to come to some grip uh, with some things that I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with, and at least to what I think I can say I believe at this point, and then uh, it's subject to change. Truth is un it's unfolding. It's like an onion. The more you peel it, the more layers you find. And once again, you can not only go back and review some of the things we've taught on the book of Revelation at YouTube, but you can also go to our iTunes, and you can sign up for our podcast there, and it will download the audio from these programs straight to your smart device. So uh, avail yourself to that. Let me just say also, I encourage you to take a minute to write to us. If you've been watching us, 
Uh, you know, you'd be surprised how encouraging it is when we get a letter, uh, we get an email, uh, uh, you know, just the words of encouragement that come from God's people have what really has kept us encouraged to go ahead and teach these things that seem to be controversial and maybe different than other people teach. We just submit them to you and then you have the prerogative to eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. But I think some of the things that we've shared has been incredibly good news. It brings a lot of stuff that we've thought way out in our future into the present reality. And it's really for the first time, I think, made the book of Revelation uh, not only a blessing to read. You know, one of the things it says in the very beginning of the book of Revelation chapter 1, blessed are those who read and understand uh, for the time is at hand. And so, you know, uh, it was a, it, this book is declared a blessing to read if you understand it. If you don't understand it, it probably is not a blessing to you. It's full of fear. Prob most people have uh, probably stayed away from the book of Revelation because of fear and uh, uh, the, the horrible things that have been preached from it. I think many things have so misrepresented the nature of God, even in uh, the book of Revelation, that people have a bad taste in their mouth towards it. But, you know, one of the things I want to continue to say is that the book of Revelation is, it's time stamped in most of its places where it says these things are about to shortly come to pass. These things are at hand. Uh, the latter part, even the last part of, uh, of the book of Revelation says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And it connects some, uh, some things to this book of Revelation that was very relevant to a first century church and a, and a people who were in the greatest time of transition, moving from Old Covenant Judaism into the New Covenant reality of uh, the new creation. This was probably one of the most pivotal times in human history as they were the ones making the transition out of Old Covenant Judaism and into New Covenant realities. And those were, you know, when the Bible talks about the last days, it's talking about the last days of that Old Covenant. If we don't understand that, then we think the last days are still somewhere out in our distant future. And the good news is, what if the last days are not in your future, but they're in your past? And uh, not only uh, are they in your past, but you are living, in fact, in a new day with authority. And that gives me the place to start from uh, today on the program. So we're going to begin reading in Revelation, the 20th chapter, uh, verse number one. And this is coming from the New King James Version. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again, did not live again, until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and he shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, 
and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, another book which was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged every, every one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone found not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I want to first of all begin by saying that we have laid the trail to show you up to this point that this comes on the heels of the judgment of the great harlot, which we showed you was apostate Israel in chapter 18 and 19. The great whore of Babylon, which was connected to this religious system, had now fallen. The city had been burnt in fulfillment of, we remember uh, in a few segments ago that I taught from the parable of the marriage of the king's son, when the king made a marriage for his son and he bade, bade the guests to come. That was God introducing Israel to his son, giving them opportunity to be married to the king's son. You know the story that the, they, those that were invited did not come. And so uh, they were uh, excluded from, uh, from this wedding, and uh, they were told to go out of the highways and compel as many as would to come in. I believe that really powerfully, and, and, and then even in the context of that in Matthew 21, the Bible says that the Pharisees and scribes knew that Jesus was talking about them. So they were the ones that were invited to this marriage of the king's son, but he says, what do you think is going to happen to those, 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 those men. They're going to be cast out and their city is going to be burned with fire. Uh, that city of Jerusalem literally was burned with fire at the close of that covenant age of the law and their city was burnt and God gave the gospel not only to the Jew but to the Gentiles as well and the mystery that had been hid from ages which was Christ in and among you all, not just Jews, but Gentiles, also the middle wall partition was about to be broken down. God was about to include both Jew and Gentile. And on the heels of this, we come to this, uh, this great, uh, this great uh, binding of Satan, because there's a mighty angel that comes down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent, bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Now let me tell you first of all that where the biggest probably discrepancy is at in any of this whole book of Revelation is over this thousand year period. Now let me tell you that my opinion at this point, and it is subject to change, but in my research my opinion is that this millennium began right on the heels of this temple being destroyed. And I'm going to give you several reasons why I believe that for, uh, uh, in just a little bit. Now, uh, I believe that we are in and have been for some time the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus is not going to one day rule and reign. He is Lord right now. If you drive down the road anywhere 
uh, probably in this country, somewhere you're going to see a church sign that says Jesus is Lord over this city. Well, either he's Lord or he's not. Either he's the reigning king or he's not. Uh, I, I submit to you in Daniel, the book of Daniel, that he appeared before the Ancient of Days, right after his resurrection, and received the kingdom that was prepared, that he was given authority and power. All authority was given to him in heaven and in earth. And, I, you know, one of the things that I put in my notes when I'm talking, see, one of the things that's, that, that we need, somebody said to me recently, well, if that thousand years, let me say this first. That thousand years to me, just like every other number, a lot of the numbers in the book of Revelation and a lot of the things in the book of Revelation are highly symbolic. In other words, if we see a lamb in the book of Revelation that's not a literal barnyard creature, this word thousand doesn't necessarily have to mean a literal thousand. As a matter of fact, one of the things I discovered in that uh, conference call with an apostolic council was that this word thousand itself is actually in the plural form. So it could literally be thousands of years. Uh, what I'm after is not so much the duration of time as it simply is denoting a long period of time. In other words, you could say things like uh, there's lots and lots of places in the scriptures uh, where the term thousand is used, and, and I believe it is almost every time that the term thousand is used, it is an idiom or it is a uh, symbol. It would be, for instance, if you would say God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean he doesn't own a thousand and one, the cattle on a thousand and one hills. It's just talking about a, it is a word that is denoting a long period or a lot. Uh, that he remembers the sins, he visits the sins uh, of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but his mercy endures to a thousand. In other words, his mercy does not end. I believe we are in the present reign of Jesus Christ. I believe we are in the millennial reign. I believe the devil has been bound. Satan has been bound. I'll get into some of the scriptures that uh, prove that uh, to you in just a few moments, but I believe it's not necessarily dealing with a literal thousand, and yet I will say this to you. In my research, I came across an article that was, you know, that was showing how that from 70 AD to 1070 was an exact thousand years, and that Christianity had in fact dominated for a thousand years, and at the end of that, a uh, thousand years, there was a, a, uh, a volcano that erupted and a fire that came down, and it was at that point that other religions began to flourish, and so it was seeming as if the devil had been loose for, uh, you know, a little period at that time. Now, let me say to you that uh, that fits even if you want to use a literal sense of this, but to me, it's really uh, not dealing with so much of a literal significance. Uh, the other view, another view of the uh, thousand years, as there are some of the full preterist guys who believe that, uh, that the millennium began around, I believe it is 26 AD, uh, uh, with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and it culminated in somewhere around, I believe they say 64 to 66 AD, and they call that transition period, a, that 40 year period, which I would, I, I struggle with that concept, and this is the reason why. Uh, I struggle with that for, for several reasons. Number one, I struggle with it because I believe that if God uh, was going to use that same period of time as being the millennial reign, He would have probably used the term generation or 40 years or, or something of that nature. And that's not an argument in itself except to say that to me, when we see this resurrection occur here in the book of Revelation chapter 20, the dead are raised. I showed you in a prior segment, and please go back and watch this, it'll help you understand it more. But when I was teaching Revelation, the 11th chapter, I showed you that there was a resurrection 
That occurred on the heels of the temple being destroyed in the 11th chapter of Revelation. Uh, there was a resurrection of the martyrs, at least, at the very least, there was a resurrection of the martyrs that took place on the heels of the destruction of the temple, which I believe was the beginning and part of a first resurrection group of people uh, that began with Jesus and those that were seen in the city. Uh, over 500 were seen in the city of those who slept were seen in the city. So that tells me that uh, from the time of Jesus' resurrection on, that the resurrection was now began and underway and continues. There is seed time and harvest time, so that would have been the wave, the fulfillment of the feast of the wave of sheath of first fruits. When he talked about, you see, because what, under the Hebrew calendar, when they would walk down the streets uh, during harvest time, they would wave the sh wave of sheath of first fruit, guaranteeing that a harvest was coming. So Christ, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his perusia or his coming, which we believe occurred in 70 AD, his coming in judgment, his coming in clouds, we believe was in 70 AD because we showed you that cloud comings to the Hebrew mind was not an unusual concept. God always used that terminology when he would come against an apostate nation. He would always make the wind his chariot and he would appear in the clouds and the thick darkness of the clouds and the, and the I forget exactly the terminologies, but all through the scripture, especially in Psalm 18, it talks about him coming in clouds. He appears in clouds, uh, clouds of glory. There's a glory cloud. There is, in Hebrews 12, a great cloud of witnesses. So cloud comings was not an unusual concept. Now, the reason I'm saying this is to show you that there was uh, something that occurred during that period of time uh, that, uh, that, that sets this, to me, the beginning of this millennial reign begins with a people who were, it's clear to me, at least in Revelation 20, that at the very least, those that were beheaded uh, and those that were uh, martyrs, the, for the beheaded, you, know, you see this in verse number four, and I saw thrones and, and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had, had been beheaded for the, their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image or had received his mark on their foreheads. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, and the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Remembering that even the sounding of the trumpets in about the, uh, I, I, I'm thinking somewhere around the ninth uh, chapter Revelation, or even a little bit prior to that, the souls are under the altar of the martyrs of Jesus. And they're crying, how long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us? And uh, then uh, he, th th they are under the altar and they are crying the prayers of the saints, how long till thou dost avenge us? Now we know that the catastrophes and the judgments that came upon apostate Israel were in fulfillment, fulfillment of Matthew 23 and in Luke, I believe it is, I, uh, I wanna say the 20th chapter, uh, but it's in that range where he talks about these are the days of vengeance that all things that were written might be fulfilled. And Matthew 23 says that the blood of all of the martyrs from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias would come upon that generation. So their prayers are saying, how long do you avenge us? And the answer to them is just a little while. There's some more that need to be killed. And it's after those martyrs and their prayers are ascending up. Then God takes a coal from off that altar. 
He takes a coal off the altar of where these souls are under crying because the prayers of the saints are the incense that's going up saying, how long do you avenge us? It is the prayers of these saints that he cast into the earth and all of a sudden seven trumpets get ready to sound. And seven trumpets begin to sound, and these trumpets sound, and as they sound, catastrophe after catastrophe begins to unfold as judgment comes upon this apostate people. The last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, sounds uh, immediately upon the heels of the temple being trodden underfoot of the Gentiles for 42 months. We know that was what the Romans did when they attacked uh, Israel. It was 42 months. They trampled underfoot the holy city, and the court was without, and the temple was ultimately destroyed. And then the last trumpet sounds right on the heels of the temple being destroyed. Now the last trumpet is the same last trumpet, I believe, of 1 Corinthians 15, when he says that the dead would be raised at the last trump, and that there would be a resurrection that would occur during that period of time of the last trump. And I believe at that moment there was a resurrection that took place at least of the martyrs. They were transferred out of the realm of where they sleep into the realm of the heavens, and now heaven is now open, because as long as this first covenant, first temple still stood, the way into the holiest was not yet made. So when the temple was destroyed, the holiest of holies was now opened in heaven, and all of these martyrs are now ascending into the heavens, as well as all of the old covenant saints who had slept with their fathers. And they, they, were, they were now being ushered into heaven itself, so that when we come into uh, the New Testament, it helps me understand some things. Like, you know, we used to say things when we'd go out, we preach a funeral, especially from 1 Thessalonians 4. And we, someone of our loved ones would pass away, and we would look and we would say, well, uh, you know, mom went home to be with the Lord. Well, that's, then I could, I, and I said, that, that's true. And then the next thing you know, they're saying, well, in that great getting up moment, when mom gets up to go with, be with the Lord, and then we go out to the graveyard, and it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and I'm like, well, where's mom at? But what we don't understand is, is that from the old covenant, that when they died, they slept with their fathers. The Apostle Paul grabs us in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I want to show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. And he includes, when he's using these pronouns, including himself, we're not all going to sleep. But we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Now note, the last trump was during the end of the temple being destroyed. That's when the last trumpet sounds. So that what he's saying is, up until that point, they were sleeping with their fathers. Even when they go back to the Hymenius era, where he said the resurrection was already past, people would use that against me. But see, this is predating Hymenius and those guys, and I believe it was Philetes, were in error because they were in the wrong time slot. Because these things had not yet occurred to give resurrection, so the resurrection had not yet passed. But when Paul says, we will not all sleep, but we'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. What he's saying is from this new covenant on, and from the moment that this covenant with death is disannulled, and this agreement with hell doesn't stand, and all of this old covenant of death passes off of the scene, death has been defeated through the work of Jesus Christ, that in the new covenant, believers do not sleep. The moment you take your last breath, you are immediately 
in the presence of the Lord so that when you say mom went home to be with the Lord, she went home to be with the Lord. She is not sleeping. She received that at that point a spiritual body that 1 Corinthians says there's a terrestrial and there's a spiritual. She received her spiritual body. When 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, for us who are alive, he's talking to them, said, I don't want you to be eager concerning them who are falling asleep that you saw or not. In other words, they were falling asleep up until that point. But he said, but the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the chief messenger. Revelation 11, there's a mighty angel that comes with a rainbow. That's the chief messenger. The voice of the archangel is sounding. The context fits. And then he goes on to say that, uh, that the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The being caught up to, with them in the clouds to me is, is that this great cloud of witnesses of those who have already gone on. Hebrews 11 and 12 uh, talks about the great cloud of witnesses. There's a welcome meeting. If you read that in another translation, it says for a welcome meeting with the Lord in the lower atmosphere. And they will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. The word air there is a Greek word which means to breathe, literally to expire air. Or you could literally say to exhale. I could say it like this. That what he's saying there is the moment you take your last breath, there is a welcome meeting with the Lord in the lower atmosphere. And if you've ever been with anybody that's dying, they start talking to people from the other side. They never get confused. They start talking to their husband, their, their mother, their father, Jesus. The angels of God start to greet them because there's a welcome meeting as they transfer over so that uh, even the words of Jesus when he said to them at the tomb of Lazarus, if you live and believe in me, you will never die. And that can only fit in the context of understanding that not dying is that you are not, not so much that you don't put this physical man off, but the moment you do, that it's not the end for you, that you simply pass from this dimension into the next dimension, and there's a welcome meeting with the Lord. There's not been a believer died in 2,000 years. I, I, I don't believe. I believe that, that death has been abolished. He brought life and immortality to life, and, and what he's saying is that you're not going to sleep. It doesn't mean you won't die physically. He's saying you're not going to sleep as they did in the old covenant, but you're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And that occurred, and from that last trumpet on, not a believer, hallelujah, has, has fallen, has, gone, has died. We're out of time. I trust that this blessed you. Excuse me, take a moment to call that number on the screen. Uh, sow a seed into the ministry if you could help us to take the gospel around the world. Let us know what you're thinking and how you're enjoying the program, and it will be great encouragement to us. Write us a letter. You can send us an email, which gets to me. Uh, also, you can just simply uh, write a check and send it to the number on the screen or call the number on the screen if you need prayer. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.